Uh, welcome to the African History Network show. It is Monday, July 19th, 2021. And like I said, it's been a very busy day. You know, um, last night, right, I got to bed about four in the morning. I was pull, I was working on uh, content for this new 10-week online course. So I got to bed about 10 in the morning. Did We did two hours of radio last night. And um, I started editing the video of last night's show, right? So, so last night when I went to bed, I had a dream that I edited the video of last night's show. I got up this morning and looked at, and I, I got up at 10 and went back to bed and got up at noon. But I got up this morning, looked at my computer, and I said, wait a second. Didn't I finish editing this video? <laughs> I said, no. So I had to go, I had to go and do it all over again. It, I had, I dreamed that I edited the video of last night's show. I got up and looked. I said, didn't I do this already? It's like, no, no, it's not done. So it was, uh, it's a crazy morning. All right. Um, on today's show, uh, we want to do an update on Haiti. Haiti's acting prime minister, Claude Joseph, says he will step down amid leadership dispute. Uh, Washington Post has an article about this as well as, um, New York Times. New York Times is an interesting story. Uh, Haiti, urged by foreign powers, announces new government. OK, so we'll talk um, some about that. And then uh, there's an update from Al Jazeera because uh, First Lady um, uh, Martine Moise has returned to Haiti after being injured in the um, uh, assassination of her husband. Uh, Jovenel Moise. Okay. So we'll discuss that uh, also. Now on Sunday show, we had a good, a good show Sunday. Go back and watch it on our Facebook fan page, the African history network, the African history network and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I M H O T E P. Uh, two stories. I did not get a chance to get to. We had callers calling in and had, we had a lot of content. Um, because we talked about, uh, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris meeting with the African American female, uh, voting rights activists, uh, shared a segment, a couple of segments of Roland Martin Unfiltered, because I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, uh, July 16th as a panelist. Um, statues of Confederate generals and traitors to the Union, General, Generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall, uh, uh, Thomas Stonewall Jackson were taken down in Charlottesville, Virginia. This was a couple of Saturdays ago. And I'd been wanting to talk about that story for a few days. And it, I've been wanting to talk about that story for a few days and did not get a chance to, to talk about that story. Um, just one second here. We have to reestablish connection with the radio station. Just one second. So I, I've been wanting to talk about that story for a few days and we did not get a chance to talk about it. I had the content all ready to go. We're going to squeeze that in on today's show. That's very, very important because at the same time that we have this attack, um, at the same time we have this, yeah, it's Michael again. I got disconnected somehow at the, at the same. Okay. At the, at the same time we have this attack on, um, Okay. All right, we're back. At the same time that we have this attack on the teaching of the history of slavery, how it's being taught in schools, uh, the teaching of systemic racism, things like this, 
at the very same time that we have this attack, we continue to see Confederate monuments being taken down in certain states as they should be taken down. So um, statues, statues of Confederate generals Robert E. Lee and, and uh, Thomas Stonewall Jackson were uh, removed from Charlottesville, Virginia. All right. And like I said, I've been wanting to talk about this story for a few days now. Uh, this happened uh, Saturday before last. OK, this was uh, the 10th, uh, Saturday, July 10th that this took place. But we just had so much content, had, had not had a chance to discuss this. And then uh, on yesterday's show, also, I, I was trying to get to the uh, story dealing with the New York draft riots, the New York draft riots of uh, July 13th, 1863 the New York City draft riots and massacre. And we'll, we'll talk about that on today's show as well. There's some other topics I want to deal with. We'll do deal with that Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, sometime this week, probably Tuesday and Wednesday, I'll share uh, uh, the segment of Roland Martin Unfiltered where we spoke with Dr. Cornell West. And I asked him about the conflict between he and Dr. John Henrik Clark back in the early 1990s. You don't want to miss that conversation. All right. On the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you haven't taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you can, you can control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828. To sign up for our email newsletter, also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, um, yesterday's show, I talked about the uh, new online course that I'm teaching, and it starts up uh, Saturday, July 24th, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is a 10-week online course. This is uh, from civil rights to uh, this is from civil rights to uh, from the Civil War to civil rights, from the Civil War to civil rights. And this is going to be an exciting class. We will each class. We will analyze a 10 year period of history from 1865. We'll start with, that's the last year of the Civil War. We'll start in January 1865 with special field order number 15, known as 40 Acres and a Mule, 40 Acres and a Mule, okay? And uh, we'll deal with the end of, uh, we'll deal with uh, the, the uh, end of the Civil War, April 9th, um, 1865. We'll talk about assassination of uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, the, the, we'll talk about Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865 and uh, why the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the enslaved Africans, why you needed the 13th Amendment of December 1865. And we'll go 
throughout history, we'll go through Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, um, 1876, Texas State Constitution, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, 1890, Mississippi State Convention, uh, where they signed the where they vote on the Mississippi State Constitution that in that institutes poll taxes and literacy tests uh, for for African American voters. This is in Mississippi at, at, at this time in Mississippi, the majority of the population in Mississippi is African-American. OK, so uh, we'll take you throughout history. We'll go to uh, the early 1900s with the Great Migration, 1915 and 1918, World War One, uh, 1914 and 1918, uh, the Great Pandemic, the Great Pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, 1990, 1919, going into early 1920. And then in 1919, the year after World War One ends, you know, we have the, um, the Red Summer. We have the red summer of 1919, where you have over 25 major race rides uh, in this country as well. OK, the red summer of uh, of 1919. And that's a critical period in history because that is two years before the um, that's two years before the uh, Tulsa race massacre, 1921. And then. Uh, the year before that, 1920, you have the Okoy, Florida massacre, which is centering centering around the right to vote. 1923, you have the Rosewood massacre in Florida. OK. And during this period of time in the 1920s, you have the rise of the Ku Klux Klan, the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan, largely because of the movie The Birth of a Nation in 1915. So then we'll go through the Great Migration, 1915, 1976, million African-Americans migrate from the south up north and out west. World War One, which is going to change the world and change this country, and especially after World War One, uh, 1941 and 1945, baby boomer generation, GI Bill, New Deal, uh, and then the building of the uh, the suburbs and the deindustrialization of the inner city and federal laws like the Federal Housing Act of 1949, which allows white people to put 3% down on low interest loans and get houses built out in the newly suburbs, in the newly built suburbs. When we try to get, take advantage of, the, of those policies, we're discriminated against and locked out of buying houses in the newly formed suburbs. They're using a the redlining system, which was created by the federal government, created by the Homeowners Loan Corporation about 1937. So we'll take you through our history. Each class, we will analyze approximately a 10 year period of time. And we'll go through and look at that uh, 1940s, 50s. We'll go into the civil rights movement. We'll look at Brown versus Board of Education, U.S. Supreme Court case 1954. Next year, Emmett Till is lynched August 28th, 1955 in Money, Mississippi. A few months later, the Montgomery bus boycott starts December 5th, 1955. Two years before the Montgomery bus boycott, you have a little known bus boycott in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in 1953, led by the Reverend T.J. Jemison, And this boycott in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 1953, that lasted eight days, served as a template for the Montgomery bus boycott that lasted 381 days. So we'll take you throughout history to see how we got to where we are here. We'll go throughout the civil rights movement, assassination of Malcolm X, assassination of Dr. King, birth of the Black Power Movement, 1966, coming out of SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinated Committee. SNCC comes out of SCLC. SCLC is founded in 1957 by Dr. King and Ella Baker. 
SNCC is founded April, May 1960. We'll deal with the March Against Fear, June of 1966 and June 26, 1966. Kwame Ture unleashes the, the, the phrase black power at, at, at a speech when he and Dr. King come out of jail during the March Against Fear. And he says, we want black power. We want black power. This is before the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense is founded. They're not founded until October 1966. And it's Kwame Ture and Mukasa Dada, Stokely Karma, uh, Dada, Willie Ricks, who create this term black power and popularize this term starting within SNCC and they're galvanizing the people with this power and galvanizing people with black power ideology and black power is the next step of the civil rights movement. The black power movement comes out of the civil rights movement and that's the next step. So it'll take you through our history through up to about 1968 with the assassination of Dr. King. Uh, that's a bit, you can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com scroll down the page you'll see the information for this new online course from uh the civil war to uh the civil rights movement and black power 1865 to 1965 click right here on register here it takes you to the next page click on enroll and as soon as you register we have some bonus content you can start watching and this class is going to start up uh uh saturday july 24th um 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The class, we do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. You, you have access to this content either next year, you know, even after the course is over with. And as a bonus, you'll get the first three classes of the other 10 week online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. I'm going to post the link here. Uh, you can register for the course now. And you listen, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages our story, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. 
the super station, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the future radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, July 19th, 2021, and we are live. Okay, uh, I want to get into this uh, first story here, and this is an update on Haiti. Um, and everybody, uh, once again, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the uh New online, new 10 week online course uh, that I'm teaching. This is the first time I've ever taught this class. I have, I've had the content for some for years now, but this class is going to blow you away. But I want to switch gears and talk uh, about Haiti, give you an update on what's going on here in Haiti. Uh, Haiti's acting prime minister, Claude Joseph, says he will be stepping down amid leadership dispute. Now, this whole I mean, more and more questions are being asked about the assassination of Jovenel Moise, you know, and I, I talked briefly to Abiyomi Ezekwe today, editor of the Pan-African Newswire. We were sending each other articles back and forth. I'm going to see if we can get them on the show in the next couple of days so we can go through and analyze what's taking place in Haiti. But if we look at this piece here from uh, Washington Post, I saw this uh, thing was running sometime earlier today i saw this story here and there's also one from new york times we'll talk about haiti's acting prime minister claude joseph says he will step down amid leadership dispute now claude joseph um has who who has nominally nominally led uh haiti as acting prime minister since the assassination of president jovenel moise has agreed to step down and hand over power to challenger Ariel Henry, to challenger Ariel Ariel Henry, who has been backed by the national community. Ariel Henry has been backed by the international community. Now, the agreement ends the power struggle between two men uh, appointed by Jovenel Moise, who had been courting support internationally and domestically for their rival claims as Haiti's interim leader. It's aimed at defusing a political crisis that has left the troubled Caribbean nation rudderless since the July 7th assassination. Now, as I talked about, we um, mentioned it was at Friday, I think it was Friday's show, either Thursday or Friday. I, I talked about um, Cuba, Haiti and Jamaica. Cuba's in the news, the, the protests in Cuba over lack of resources and things like this in the economy. Cuba, Haiti, and Jamaica. And Jamaica's in the news because the Jamaicans are preparing a petition to submit to Great Britain, specifically Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain, demanding reparations because uh, um, Jamaica was a colony of uh, Great Britain after Great Britain takes over Jamaica from the Spanish. But Cuba, Haiti, and Jamaica were all islands conquered by Christopher Columbus in his first or two his first two or four voyages. Cuba and Hispaniola, and on Hispaniola is the island of is, is where Haiti is, the western portion, uh 1492, and then Jamaica in 1494. This was all conquered by Columbus and the Spanish crown. Now, uh, so we're still thinking the after effects of what happened 500, 
little more than 500 years ago, like 529 years ago, 527 years ago. We're still feeling the after effects of these European colonizers and what happened a little more than 500 years ago. Now, civil society leaders, meanwhile, decried uh, what they say has been U.S. and foreign interference in propping up an interim leader whom none of them support. Civil society leaders, meanwhile, decried what they say has been U.S. and other foreign interference in propping up an interim leader whom none of them support. Critics say both men were too closely associated with President Jovenel Moise, who they say was linked to violent street gangs and growing uh, uh, and growing more authoritarian. And when we had uh, Abiyomi Zikwe on, we talked about the uh, U.S. propping up Jovenel Moise and the U.S. Uh, 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 supporting Moise as well. And we talked about the need of all these European nations to 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 leave Haiti alone and get out of the politics of Haiti, uh, get out of the economy of Haiti. Now, uh, Monique Kleska, a Haitian pro-democracy advocate and a former UN official said, we wish that our international friends would listen to what a large group of the society is saying, because nobody can decide for us who should be our leader. Nobody can decide for us who should be our leader. And this is like this whole neo-colonialism thing where these European nations still control these African or African Caribbean nations through politics and economy without actually occupying the, uh, this, the countries. Okay. This is whole neo-colonialism, uh, so to speak. Now, uh, Claude Joseph, Haiti's foreign minister, was serving as acting prime minister when President Jovenel Moise was killed in his home. Uh, Moise had appointed Ariel Henry, a 71-year-old neurosurgeon, prime minister two days before his death. But Ariel Henry had not been sworn in at the time of Jovenel Moise's assassination. Uh, Claude Joseph continued to claim he was acting prime minister. On Monday, July 19th, 2021, Claude Joseph said that he had been meeting privately with Ariel over the past week to resolve the leadership dispute and that he had agreed Sunday, uh, Sunday, July 18th to step down, quote, for the good of the nation, for the good of the nation. Now, Claude Joseph told the Washington Post in his first interview about his decision. He said, quote, everyone who knows me knows that I am not interested in this battle or in any kind of power grab. The president was a friend to me. I am just interested in seeing justice for him. Now, he said that Claude Joseph, Claude Joseph said that he expected power to be transferred during a ceremony on Tuesday, July 20th, and that he expected to remain foreign minister. Joseph said, quote, I'm doing this to honor the, the last wish of uh, of the president. Now, late Sunday, July 18th, uh, Ariel Henry released a, a recorded address in which he reiterated his claim to the prime minister's job. He said the reassur reassurance that light will be shed in those who carried 
out the assassination and its intellectual authors will be brought to justice. Those who carried out the assassination and its intellectual authors will be brought to justice. I compliment the Haitian people on their political maturity in the face of what we call a coup d'etat. Now, I want to go to uh, this clip here from Al Jazeera because um, uh, Martine Moise, the widow of the assassinated uh, President Jovenel Moise, returned um, to Haiti. And um, she, she returned to Haiti. The widow of, of Haiti's assassinated president has returned home after treatment in the U.S. for gunshot wounds. Martine Moise was wearing body armor as she arrived in Port-au-Prince and was met by interim Prime Minister Claude Joseph. Now, more, we know that more than 20 Colombian mercenaries allegedly carried out the killing of, of the assassination of President Jovenel Moise on July, uh, on July 7th, on July 7th, 2021. Most of them were captured and three were killed. Uh, Colombia, at least three were killed. Colombian investigators suspect a former Haitian government official, Felix Badillo, is behind the killing, according to Al Jazeera, reporting from Al Jazeera. The political crisis coincides with a severe COVID-19 outbreak in Haiti. Let's go to uh, clip one, Shakita. Martin Maurice has returned to Haiti after receiving treatment in the United States for wounds sustained during the assassination of her husband, President Jovenel Maurice, earlier this month. The interim Prime Minister, Claude Joseph, met her at the airport. It's still not clear whether he'll continue to run the country or who ordered the killing. They cannot destabilize me. The plot is very big. There are many people involved. Do not create confusion about the clues. If you want, let them assassinate me or continue the investigation until its conclusion. More than 20 Colombian mercenaries allegedly carried out the killing, most of whom were captured. Three were killed. In this integrated work, there is very important data in terms of how the homicide was carried out and confirms that the initial meetings were held in Miami between people who worked for the CTU security service. Colombian investigators point the finger at former Haitian government official Felix Badio, whose whereabouts are unknown. One of the few certainties in an otherwise confused picture is that the funeral for the former president will take place in the northern city of Capatien. The assassination came after weeks of rising gang violence, led by poverty and political corruption, exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. The United Nations last week delivered the first half a million doses so Haiti can finally begin its vaccination program. Yes, I see that we have started well. We have made awareness work with the staff and went to the clinics to explain what the disease is and how to protect patients against it. Officials have warned that the figure of less than 500 dead and 19,000 infected is probably underreported. Inoculating Haiti's 11 million population will be an uphill struggle. Of course. Do you see what's going on in the markets? If everyone goes to the public markets, sitting next to each other, it will be the end of Haiti. I think that we should vaccinate everyone. But until that can happen, others are taking alternative measures, like a three-day annual pilgrimage to bathe in the sacred waters 
at the shrine of one of Haiti's most revered saints, a lady of Mount Carmel. Can you shrine love? Al Jazeera. Okay, so that's an update from Al Jazeera from uh, July 19th, 2021. Haiti widow, Haiti widow of Jovenel Moise returns home after surviving attack. Uh, you can find that clip on um, Al Jazeera's YouTube channel. All right, this is a um, uh, uh, Claude Joseph, interim prime minister, who's stepping down. Now, this is a piece here from uh, New York Times. Also, Haiti urged by foreign powers announces new government. Haiti urged by foreign powers announces new government. Claude Joseph was the country's leader in the aftermath of uh, President Jovenel Moise's assassination, he will hand power to Ariel Henry and join a new unity government intended to keep Haiti stable. Uh, and this piece here is from uh, July 19th, 2021. So check out this article also uh, from New York Times. Okay, uh, we're gonna go to clip two, Shakita. All right, so that's an update from uh, Haiti. We'll. Um, Next day or so, we'll have Abiyomi Azikwe, editor of the Pan-African Newswire, back for a deeper analysis and more updates on um, what's going on in Haiti. We'll probably talk about Cuba some as well. Okay, I, I want to switch gears. There was a uh, story out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay, and we remember, remember in uh, August... 2017, remember the uh, attack in uh, the United Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the white supremacist neo-Nazis there, uh, and they said they were trying to save a statue of General Robert E. Lee from being taken down, even though General Robert E. Lee was against Confederate statues and Confederate monuments. Okay, I don't know how many people know this, but General Robert E. Lee was against Confederate statues and Confederate monuments. Um so there was this article here from NBC News, and this is clip that we're going to go to in just a second from uh, Weekends with Alex Witt. Charlottesville, Virginia, removes third monument hours after Lee Jackson statues come down. After the statues of Generals Robert E. Lee and General uh, Stonewall Jackson were removed Saturday morning, uh, officials voted to take down a monument of Meriwether Lewis and William Clark and Saka, uh, Sacagawea. OK, Native American Sacagawea. Now, this is from July 10th. So this this took place uh, Saturday, July 10th, 2021. Um, despite a special emergency meeting, the Charlottesville City Council decided to take down the Meriwether Lewis, uh, William Clark and Sacagawea statue. Uh, the city tweeted a photo of officials whisking it away just before 2.45 p.m. The council's uh, unanimous 5-0 vote came after crowds cheered uh, when the bronze statue depicting Generals Robert E. Lee and Thomas Stonewall Jackson were carted away Saturday morning. Nearly four years after white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups stormed the Virginia college town to protest the city's planned removal of the uh, Lee monument about uh, 200 residents, spectators, and Black Lives Matter supporters came out Saturday morning to witness the uh, moment uh, the first two statues were taken down. Okay, to witness the moment the first two statues 
uh, were taken down. Now, we remember the Unite the Right rally. So you had these 12 white supremacist organizations and you had Richard Spencer. And, you know, the day before you had uh, 500 white supremacists out there with tiki torches, tiki torches, things like this. Right? And uh, then you had this idiot who drove his car into the crowd of uh, protesters and killed Heather Heyer, who was a white woman who uh, was protesting against these white supremacists, things like this. And uh, this is when uh, Donald Trump, uh, the traitor in chief, was in office, who uh, played footsie play footsies with these white supremacist neo-Nazi organizations and the Proud Boys. You remember he told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. He didn't tell them to stop. He said, stand back and stand by. Okay. Um, so since 2017, you've had a lot of focus on taking down these statues, which are honoring traitors to the union. OK, uh, now uh, the majority of these Confederate monuments were not built right after the Civil War ended. They're going to be built the two periods of time in history when the majority of these Confederate monuments were built. Uh, you have about 1895 to about 1915 and uh, 1895 is the year right before uh, Brown, uh, right before Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case which legalizes um, Jim Crow and separate and equal, okay? And then, so you have from about 1895 to uh, 1915, and then you have the period of time from um, 19, about 1954 up until about 1970, the Civil Rights Movement, okay? And with this increase, and we go back to 1895, 1915, with this increase in these Confederate monuments, you're going to have an increase in lynchings in, the, in this country also. So these, these statues were designed to terrorize African-Americans and to remind us of our low position in life, a low position in society. Okay. They, 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 um, a lot of people think they were built right after the Civil War ended. No, they were, they were built to terrorize African-Americans. Now, there's a piece that I've done an entire presentation, entire lecture dealing with the history of uh, the Confederate monuments. And we know the largest Confederate monument is in um, Georgia and it's called Stone Mountain. OK, Stone Mountain in Georgia. Um, I've shown, shown this to you before and I've been to Stone Mountain. And on the side of Stone Mountain, you have the uh, carvings. It's a huge mountain, and it has the carvings on the side of it of these three Confederate traitors. General Robert E. Lee, Thomas Stonewall Jackson, and Jefferson Davis. And Jefferson Davis was the president of the Confederacy. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about this. This was there in 1967. This is there right now. Okay? This is there right now in uh in georgia and then so when you study the history of georgia and you look at senate bill 202 you look at brian kemp signing senate bill 202 underneath a plantation a slave plantation a famous slave plantation there in georgia the callaway plantation uh you start putting the, the all the pieces together and you you see that georgia is a former confederate state so all this starts to make sense they're trying to preserve, you know, 
white. Uh, this is trying to preserve white supremacy. But this statue right here, this is an article from uh, SmithsonianMag.com, uh, the official website of the Smithsonian Institute. What will happen to Stone Mountain, America's largest Confederate memorial? What will happen to Stone Mountain, America's largest Confederate memorial? And this this article is from August 22nd, 2017. Now, this is what's on the side of Stone Mountain. These Confederate traitors who committed treason against the Union based upon Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution. OK, Thomas Stonewall Jackson, General Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis, all three were slave owners, all three were slave owners. Now, if we look at this piece here from Mother Jones, this came out in August of 2017, August 15, 2017. The real story behind all those Confederate monuments. The other thing is that you still have schools. There are hundreds of schools named after these Confederate traitors. OK, and after Brown's Board of Education, 1954, we're going to see. Uh, white segregationists fight back three main ways. One way is going to be naming schools after these Confederates, naming schools after Confederate traders, after Brown versus Board of Education, U.S. Supreme Court case, desegregation case, 1954. So a huge increase in the number of vouchers being used by white people to give vouchers to poor white families, lower income white families, so that white children, can, that lower income white children can go to white private schools and lock African-Americans out. So they're gonna, they're gonna resegregate schools. They're, they're gonna try to keep from integrating schools and keep schools segregated for white people using the voucher system. This is when you go analyze this, this is something, this is when you're gonna see a rise in these vouchers being used to lock African-American children out of these schools. And they're gonna do it based upon the voucher system, based upon class. Well, well it's, it's, it's covertly based upon race, but you can't say it's based upon race. So they're gonna give vouchers to lower income white children so they can go to private schools. Third, you're gonna see the, um, White Citizens Council founded in 1954 in Mississippi. The White Citizens Council, this is something we're gonna talk about in my, in my 10 week online course from the Civil War to, to Civil Rights and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. You're gonna see the White Citizens Council founded in Mississippi in 1954. And you're gonna see chapters of the White Citizens Council spread all throughout the South. And in Mississippi, they're going to use their power and the White Citizens Council to get um, uh, to win the governorship for Ross Barnett, who becomes the governor of the se segregationist, who becomes governor of Mississippi. And the White Citizens Council was made up of bankers and farmers, plantation owners, wealthy white men. OK, this is the White Citizens Council, business owners, things like this. They were they were they were like the Ku Klux Klan without the hoods. And they had a little bit more education, a little bit more finesse. OK, but they, they were like the Klan without the hoods. All right. This was the White Citizens Council. Um, Byron Byron Della Beckwith, who assassinated 
Megra Evers in June of 1963 was a member of the White Citizens Council there in Mississippi. If we look at this article here from Mother Jones, the real story behind all those Confederate statues, this is from August 2017. Um, Confederate monuments and statue buildings. So they show you a timeline of history and they show you the periods of time when you have the most number of statues being built. Okay, so if we look at 1870, 1880, 18, 1890, uh, blacks lose votes. Jim Crow laws enacted. All right. Mississippi State Constitution, 1890, Louisiana State Constitution, 1898, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, Grandfather Clause, 1898. You see that period of time. You have a low level. You have a low number of Confederate monuments being built. But then we go from about 1895 up until about 1915. We see a spike and we see a peak in right about 1910. OK. Lynchings. Lost cause myth, KKK monuments, uh, monument building. All right. So you have uh, you're going to have a rise in the Ku Klux Klan in 1915 because of the movie, The Birth of a Nation. We're going to have an increase in lynchings in the in the early 1900s. We see a spike in these um, uh, Confederate monuments being built and they are designed to be symbols of terrorism against African-Americans to remind us of our low place in life where many of these segregationists want us to keep us in life. All right. Uh, and then we go through World War One, World War, World War One, 1914, 1918. When these African-American men come back, and this is something that we're going to really delve into in, in my class, when these African-American men come back from fighting in World War One, there's a new sense of pride among African-Americans. They're called race men and they're called the new Negro. And these brothers come back home and they say, we're not dealing with this segregation that we were dealing with before we left. They say, we fought for this country. We died for this country. Some of them fought uh, with the Harlem hell fighters. They said, we want all of our rights. Now we want all of our rights. Now we want first class citizenship now. And these brothers are fighting for this. They come back and, they're, and, and they, they have learned how to fight in the military. They learn how to fight, learn how to shoot, how to kill. They learn military strategy. So the next year after World War I ends, it's 1919. It's called the Red Summer. There were over 25 major race riots in this country because when these white men left, and see, this is towards the beginning of the Great Migration. And the great migration in these wars, they're going to change this country. When these when these white men left, it was about five million white men who fought in World War One. When they left, they left jobs behind. The jobs they left a, it created a, a a a labor vacuum. These jobs are going to be filled by African Americans and immigrants who were here, and you're going to have factories up north who are marketing to African-Americans in the South down on the farms and who are sharecroppers and things like this to come up North and work in these factories and come, come up North for a better way of life. So when these white men come back home, their job, they don't have jobs anymore, but they brought back skills with them on how to fight and how to kill. They brought back weaponry. We brought back weaponry as well. So we're going to see 
these explode these racial explosions in the streets, like in Chicago, in Elaine, Arkansas. All we, we see this across the country, and these brothers are out in the streets in their World War One uniforms with their rifles fighting back. They're fighting back, protecting their communities. We're going to see something similar after the Civil War ends as well with Union, African-American Union soldiers. OK, so th this is 1919. This is known as the Red Summer of 1919. It was called the Red Summer by James Weldon Johnson, who in 1899 wrote the lyrics to lift every voice and sing, which became the black national anthem years later. And he said, uh, uh, he said the streets of America were flowing with blood. That's why it's called the Red Summer. So if we look at this, we see from about 1895 to about 1915. That's the first period of time where you have all these monuments being built. And in about 1910, you have about 140 of these Confederate monuments built just in 1910 alone. Then the next period of time is about 1955 to about 1970. It's, it's to a lesser extent, but that's the next peak. That's during the Civil Rights Movement. That's during the Civil Rights Movement. And we're going to see the Confederate battle flag of Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee's army. Be, it's going to be uh, uh, used as a symbol of defiance against the civil rights movement. We're going to see this in South Carolina where the Civil War started in 1860. In about, in about 1960, the 100th anniversary of um, South Carolina seceding from the Union. They seceded from the Union December 20th 1860, the first state to secede from the Union. We're going to see them take this Confederate battle flag and put it on top of the, the state capitol there in South Carolina. And uh, we're going to see that this this becomes a symbol of resistance to civil rights for African-Americans. And this is going to become used by the Dixiecrats. And we see this uh, about 1947, 1948, when Strom Thurmond runs for president as a Dixiecrat, a Southern segregationist Democrat. And because of the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65, Strom Thurmond, who's a Democrat, is going to lead the Democratic Party. And where does he go? He goes to the Republican Party where he died. He was, he was, he was like 9,900 years old when he died. Oh, white segregationist, white supremacist segregationist Strom Thurmond. Well, see, this is part of this party realignment that takes place between the parties. People think just African-Americans left the Democrat, left the Republican Party, went to the Democratic Party. No, you had a lot of white segregationist Democrats who left the Democratic Party and they went to the Republican Party. And that's where they stayed. And their children are there now. You got to understand this history, this chronology of history. Okay, so let's go quickly to this clip here from, uh, uh, we're going to clip number two. This is from Alex Witt. Uh, weekends with Alex Witt talking about um, uh, the removal of these statues. Down today in Charlottesville after the city held an emergency meeting today. Let's go to MBC's Dion J. Hampton, who's joining us from Charlottesville. So, Dion, what's going on? We had two down, taken away. What are we hearing about this latest development? Yeah, so honestly, it's just a second day of surprises. You know, council members yesterday all of a sudden announced that they were going to remove the uh, two Confederate monuments here in uh, downtown, or I should say in the heart of Charlottesville, but now breaking news in the last hour or so, uh, all of a sudden the Lewis and Clark and uh, Sacagawea statue is all of a sudden being removed. 
House members met on a Saturday in an emergency meeting, unbeknownst to the media who was already here. Crews are already blocking off streets. Officers are already getting their handle on the traffic. And they're right now, or at least in the last 30 minutes, starting to remove that statue, which is the third controversial statue, you know, that, that's being uh, taken away here. I want to point out one thing, though, that there's a young woman out here, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Bryant, uh, she five years ago, she was a 16-year-old student in high school, and all of a sudden she had came up with a petition that she wanted these statues removed. And so now today is a continuing trend of some of the things that she started five years ago. But I want you all to take a listen to what she said. Take a listen to this. We are standing in a park where this city is still refusing to address systemic issues. And the work of removing the statue is only the tip of the iceberg. To the young people out there, I hope that this empowers you to speak up on the issues that matter and to take charge in your own cities and communities. No platform for white supremacy, no platform for racism, and no platform for hate. And I would like to point out that that interview for was from this morning, but I recently ran into her a little while ago and talked to her again, and she said, listen, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Eventually, what she wants to do is she wants to talk about education here. She mentioned that there's problems here with housing gaps where the average rent cost is, is sky, sky high, comparable to New York City. Some apartments cost $1,800. You have a lot of $1,800 a month. And you have a lot of affluent people here, but then you have a lot of minorities who can't pay that type of rent. So as her activism continues, that's kind of where she wants to focus her attention on moving forward. Alex? Okay, well, she has a tall agenda, and I'm sure she's going to stick with it. Dion, thank you so much. Okay, pause right there. All right, and, and that sister's name was uh, is Zayana Bryant. Zayana Bryant. She is a, I think she's a junior now at the University of Virginia. Brilliant, brilliant sister. Uh, she's also a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, so I know they are proud of her. Um, in two, she began a petition for removal of this General Robert E. Lee monument in 2016. Okay, all right. Those watching on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, keep watching. We're going to keep going for a couple more minutes. Um, if you'd like to stop for information, you can support the African History Network. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App and through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Register for my new 10 week online course. Remember, right now is correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right. Stand by, everybody. Stand by. How's everybody doing? Um, Okay, stand by. Okay, let's continue here. Uh, I want to finish this article. The information with the New York draft riot, we'll get to that Wednesday because this has been a long day and I have a lot of information here. Um, we'll do with the New York draft riot tomorrow. But uh, let me uh, let me go back to this uh, article here from NBC News, and I want to go back to the graphic from uh, Mother Jones. Okay, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, 10-week online course. Who who still needs to register for my new 10-week online course that starts up Saturday, Saturday July 24th, uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Civil War to uh, civil to the Civil Rights Movement and the Black Power Movement, 1865 to 1965. 
Uh, let me know if you still need to register for that. Okay, let's go back to this article here now. Um, okay, Generals Robert E. Lee, Thomas Stonewall Jackson, Charlottesville. Uh, uh, okay, so nearly four years after the uh, white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups stormed the. Um, hold on, let's see. Nearly four years after they stormed uh, the park there, and let me close this out. Where is, okay. Nearly four years after white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups stormed the Virginia college town to protest the city's planned removal of the Lee Monument, about 200 residents, spectators, and Black Lives Matter supporters came out Saturday, July 10th, Saturday morning, to witness the moment the first two statues were taken down. Now, Charlottesville Mayor uh, Nakaya uh, Walker told reporters and observers in a speech near the monuments that the removal of the statues is one small step closer one small step closer to the goal of helping Charlottesville, Virginia and America grapple with the sin of being willing to destroy black people for economic gain. Come on, sister, to destroy black people for economic gain. And see, see, this is all tied into not just the history of slavery, but the Civil War and the Reconstruction era. And in the graphic that I showed you, it talked about the, the it talked about the lost cause myth, the lost cause myth. The lost cause myth was financed largely by groups like the United Daughters of the Confederacy that sought to have a revisionist history of the Civil War, what it was about and changed the issue to being about states rights. And the federal government was trying to. Uh, overreach and impose rights upon these southern uh, these uh, Confederate states and these Confederate states seceded from the Union because they were fighting for their rights. They just leave the whole slavery thing out largely. No, you wanted to you were fighting for the right to maintain slavery. That's what that was. And in the statements of secession of many of these uh, Confederate states, they talk about how essential to the to their way of life slavery was. OK. Now, this will connect to what we'll talk about tomorrow with the New York draft riots, because poor white men started revolting because they were saying, well, wait a second. You're drafting us to go fight in this war. And now you now you're talking about freeing the slaves. Well, we're afraid the slaves are going to take our jobs. And you have us trying to fight to maintain slavery in the, in the, in, in the Southern States, the Confederacy, there's, you know, you have poor white men saying, wait a second, you trying to, you want us to fight to maintain slavery, but we don't own slaves. Most of these poor white people don't own slaves. It's the wealthy ones that own them largely. Okay. And in the North, the union, you got white men could see, see with the draft riots, these white men up North were revolting in New York. They were revolting because now you have to pay, uh, they had to pay a $300 fine. In 1863, they had to pay a $300 fine if they refused to be drafted into the military to fight in the war. Well, wealthy white men 
were paying the $300 to stay out of the war and let poor white men go fight. Poor white men were revolting because they're like, wait a second. We don't want to fight in this war, but we don't have the money to stay out to, to, to pay the fine. You letting the wealthy white people. OK, you letting them pay the fine and they don't have to go fight and we have to go fight. OK, but they say, wait a second. You're talking about freeing the slaves now. You free the slaves. They're going to take our jobs. Now, the fact of the matter was the slaves were already doing your jobs and they were doing it for free because there are at least 262 skills, trades and crafts that African people had in this country from 1619, 1865. Okay. But, um, a lot of the, a lot of the Northern states had abolished slavery by 1863. A lot of the Northern states had abolished slavery by 1863. But the fact of the matter is in the, in the states that still have slavery and also the border states, Kentucky, Missouri, Delaware, Maryland, they, they stayed loyal to the union. They were allowed to keep their slaves. But the fact of the matter is the slaves were doing all those jobs. The African slaves were doing all those jobs and they were doing it for free. So they already had your jobs. But what they were, what a lot of these white men up north were afraid of, okay, now the free African-Americans, okay, now you're going to lift all these restrictions on the movements of free African-Americans, things like this, and they're going to be able to better compete for jobs also, even in, territories where or states where uh slavery had already been abolished so this is a deep history all right let's look at this again okay so this is from mother jones this chart here and um they got this from vaca.com uh this illustrates some something that even a lot of liberals don't always get. Most of the monuments were not erected after the civil war. In fact, all the way to 1890, there were very few statues, statues or monuments dedicated to Confederate leaders. Most of them were built much later. Um, okay. Let's see here. So they have a timeline of history. Let's look at this quickly. Civil War, 1861-1865, Reconstruction Era, 1865-1875. Actually, 1877, Reconstruction ends. 1875-1895, Reconstruction ends. Lynching skyrocket. Blacks are steadily disenfranchised, allowing Southern whites to enact Jim Crow laws. In 1896, Jim into place. When the Supreme Court rules, it is constitutional. That's Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case. We'll look at that in, in my online course. 1895 to 1915. Uh, with blacks disenfranchised and Jim Crow law safely in place, Southern whites continue their campaign of terror against African-Americans. All right. Uh, and then see people, people skip over the significance of the movie, The Birth of a Nation, that debuts February 8th, 1915. The movie showed the Ku Klux Klan as being heroes because the Klan rises up at the end of the movie to put down a rebellion of former Union Negro soldiers during the construction era. And later in that year um, of 1915, uh, the Reverend Thomas, uh, the, the, the Reverend William Joseph Simmons, the Reverend William Joseph Simmons is going to rejuvenate the Ku Klux Klan. He's going to rejuvenate the Klan. This is going to be the second incarnation of the Klan. He's inspired by this movie, The Birth of a Nation. And this second incarnation of the Klan is going to have both Democrats and Republicans as, as members of the Klan. 
Okay, and we're going to see this resurgence of the Klan, and they become very powerful in the 1920s. Now, this era features con uh, continued lynchings, the growing popularity of the lost cause, revisionist histories uh, of, of the uh, Civil War, the lost cause, a resurgence of white supremacy organizations like the KKK, and the erection of Confederate statues and monuments in large numbers. This is 1895 to 1915. 1915 is the beginning also of the Great Migration, all right? And as African-Americans were moving from the South. So, so in 1910, 90% of African-Americans live in the South as a legacy of slavery, sharecropping, things like this. And we own land or we own land. So about 19, about 1910, 1920, we had acquired almost 20 million acres of land. Okay, largely in the South. Uh, 1915 to 1955, Jim Crow reigns safely throughout the South. 1955 to 1970. Now we're going to see uh, the, the second largest period of time when these Confederate monuments are built. 1955 to 19, civil rights era starts after the after the Supreme Court rules Brown versus Board of Education that Jim Crow laws are unconstitutional. Southern whites mount massive and violent resistance. Southern whites mount massive and violent resistance and start putting up Confederate monuments again. Okay, so check this out. See, these are crucial periods of time. So these, so it, it, the online course that I'm going to teach, we're going to go through these ten-year periods periods of time. We're going to go through and analyze these and look at the laws and policies put in place. Look at the events that took place. Look at the movements. Look at how we responded to these attacks. And you have to look at that 100 period of time to understand how we got where we are today to understand where do we go from here? What do we do next? And we're going to see how politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power and resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments and treaties, their adoption, interpretation and enforcement. So when we go through and look at this history, we're going to see this. All right. Uh, we'll go back to the article from. Um, NBC News in just a second here. Um, you can register for my new 10-week online course that starts up Saturday, July 24th, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1965. We're going to go to about 1968, actually, 1865 to 1968. It's a 10 week online course. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch it over and over again. You'll still have access to the class even after the class is over with. All right. Uh, so at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you scroll down the page and uh, click on register here. It takes you to the next page. Click on enroll. As soon as you enroll, you can start watching bonus content. Uh, we have the classes one, two, and three of the other 10-week online course that I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. So as soon as you um, register, you can start watching uh, that content as well. That content is archived, and you'll be ready for class on um, Saturday, July 24th. Okay, we're, do we're doing this 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 consecutive uh, Saturdays. So this class is going to blow you away. I'll do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, guest speakers, uh, everything.
All right. So I'll post a link here and you can visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. The register for the course is uh, regularly $130 on sale, $80. Okay, let's continue. Let's. I want to go back quickly here to the article from... Um, I want to go back quickly here to the article from NBCNews.com. Let's see here. Okay, where's the one from NBC News? All right, let's look at this again. Okay, so the mayor of Charlottesville, Mayor Nakaya, Nakaya Walker, said this is one small step closer to the goal of helping Charlotte, Charlottesville, Virginia, and America grapple with the sin of being willing to destroy black people for economic gain. Now, the other part of that is we have to stop participating in our own dehumanization as well. Okay. We had to stop participating in our own dehumanization also. Uh, so we can't finance the same things that we uh, call other people out for doing to us like negative corporate controlled hip hop. Okay. Things like this, stereotypical images that are perpetuated of African-Americans. We, 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 we have to divest of those corporations that keep perpetuating these negative images of us. We have to redistribute the pain economically because that sends a stronger message than doing petitions and things like this. When you start divesting economically, okay, from uh, all these practices that we say are detrimental to us, that sends a much stronger message. All right. So let's continue here. Okay, now uh Seth um Whisperway traveled from Tucson, Arizona. He said this matters a lot to me. He grew up uh in the city of Charlottesville, Virginia. He said some might uh say it's not that big of a deal, but it's a piece of gospel uh, specific history. It's a piece of it's a piece of gospel specific history that we can liberate our public spaces that erased black and brown families a century ago. I wanted to feel a little bit of victory today after a really hard last four years. Now, the Lewis uh, Clark and uh, Sacagawea statue was given to Charlottesville, Virginia in 1919, same year as the Red Summer, 1919. The Jackson statue has been up, the, the statue of uh, Thomas Stonewall Jackson has been up since 1921, the same year of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And the the um, General Robert E. Lee statue was first placed in 1924. They will be stored until the city council decides to sell destroy or otherwise dispose of them. Now, I argue that all these statues need to come down. They should not be destroyed. They should be put in museums. They should be put in museums. We have to study the history behind 
the statues. We have to study the history behind the statues, the Civil War, slavery, reconstruction, the lost cause. We have to understand all that history. Most people don't. And when you take these statues down, one thing that should go in their place are historical markers to talk about what was there and why they were why it was taken down. This is this is a history that has to be taught, but we have to frame the, the conversation properly. These are traitors to the union, but we have to teach this history. Now, this this monument symbolizes uh, Naya Bates, 31 years old of Charlottesville, Virginia, said this monument symbolizes a lot of things to our community. So to see that baggage, uh, literal baggage, all of the racism, the history of enslavement, uh, the inequities in our community picked up and put on a truck and taken out was good. Now, under state law, the city of uh, the city of Charlottesville, Virginia, was required to solicit parties interested in taking the statues during an offer period that ended Thursday. Okay, it received so that would have been. Um, that would have been Thursday, July 8th, 2021. It received 10 responses to its solicitation. Okay. Under state law, Virginia state law, the city was required to solicit parties interested in taking the statues during an offer period that ended Thursday, July 8th, 2021. It received 10 responses to its solicitation. White supremacist and neo-Nazi groups descended on Charlottesville, Virginia in August 2017 for a violent Unite the Right rally to protest efforts to remove monuments to infamous 19th century um, military leaders. Uh, the protest turned deadly after dumbass James Alex Fields Jr. killed 32-year-old paralegal and civil rights activist Heather Heyer. All right. Um, James Fields an Ohio man known for being fascinated with Nazism and idolizing Adolf Hitler uh, drove his car into a group of counter protesters. He's now serving life in prison. Okay. Rightfully so. Uh, this, uh, the most recent removal push focused on the general Robert E. Lee monument began in 2016. Thanks in part to a petition started by an African-American high school student, Ziana uh, Bryant, uh, who, who is now a student at the University of Virginia. I think she's a junior there at the University of Virginia. I know she's a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated also. Now, this is well overdue, Z uh, Ziana Bryant told the Associated Press. No platform for white supremacy, no platform for racism, no platform for hate. And you heard her in the uh, clip that I played also. All right, so check out this article here from NBC News. Charlottesville, Virginia removes third monument hours after Lee Jackson statues come down. Okay. And this is from uh, July 10th, 2021 from NBC news. And when you study Robert E. Lee and there was a, um, there was a, um, article from the Atlantic.com. There was an article from the Atlantic.com. Um, this article was from, I think 2017, it's called the kindly General Robert E. Lee. Uh, the myth, the myth of the kindly General Robert E. Lee. And let's look at this quickly here. Yeah, the online course is regularly $130 is on sale, $80. 
and you'll have access to it even after the course is over with. You can still watch the content even after the course is over with. Um, I read this article when it came out, and I talk about this in, in some of my lectures. Like I said, I've done an entire, I think it's a two-hour lecture dealing with the history of the Confederate monuments and dealing with the Civil War, things like this. Uh, this article here, the, the myth of the kindly General Lee, because his legacy has been rewritten as part of this whole lost cause movement. The myth of the kindly General Lee, the legend of the Confederate leader's heroism and decency is based in the fiction of a person who never existed. The legend of the Confederate leader's heroism and decency is based in the fiction of a person who never existed. Okay, this is by Adam Sewer for the for the Atlantic, uh, June fourth, two thousand seventeen. Now the the strange. Uh, so let me see. Let me zoom right in. Uh, Memorial Day has uh, the strangest part about the continued personality cult of Robert E. Lee is how few of the qualities his admirers professed to, to see in him he actually possessed. So he's been legendized. And um, the other thing is, is that the TV show, The Dukes of Hazard helped to uh, help to euphemize it, it, the, the TV show. The Dukes of Hazard is part of this whole lost cause movement as well, either uh, on purpose or inadvertently either on purpose or inadvertently. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. Now, some of you may watch born Luke Duke, just a good old boy, never meaning no harm beats all you ever saw get in trouble with the law since the day they were born. Some of some of you, you know, the, the, the term Daisy Dukes, the, the uh, like 1990s, 2000s, the cutoff shorts, Daisy Dukes, that term comes from the TV show, the Dukes of Hazard, Catherine Bach, the character Daisy Duke. Okay. But, if we look at the if we look at the uh, the Dukes of Hazard, and we look at the car, the uh, the name of the car is the General Lee. Well, who is the car named after? The car is named after General Robert E. Lee. Okay, and General Robert E. Lee was a white supremacist slave owner who. Uh, took up arms against the union to maintain slavery. Okay, so we see now. This is not an attack on Bowen Luke Duke. I know they're just some good old boys. I used to watch the I used to watch the Dukes of Hazard when I was a kid, and we, you know, we watched Daisy Duke and all this stuff. But we didn't know, right? I, I remember. I, uh, I remember we had the little my, my brother and I. Um, we had the little Dukes of Hazard cars. Okay, and they were the little cars. Um, and you pull them back and then they take off going. And then one of us had the general lead. The other us had the, 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 the police car, Roscoe P. Cole train, what have you. Right. But on the car, the little toy car we had, it had the flag on it. But people think that's the Confederate flag. That's not the Confederate flag. That's the Confederate battle flag of General Robert E. Lee's army. There were three flags that flew over the Confederate States of America. From 1861 to 1865, the Confederacy, the CSA, Confederate States of America, that flag is was never one of them. 
Okay. Now the name of the car is General Lee. It even says so right on the car. It's named after General Robert E. Lee. They put this into a TV show. And why you didn't have an uprising of African Americans protesting to get this show shut down, I don't understand. Because I guarantee you, if the name of the car was the Adolf Hitler, I guarantee you, if the name of the car was the Hitler or General Hitler or Fur Hitler or something like that, I guarantee you that show, if it if it if it made it out of production, there would have been one episode of the show. That's it. If it made it out of production and they and they made a pilot and made a pilot show, it'd have been one episode on CBS or NBC, or ABC. There would have been one episode, and that'd be it. Because the ADL, Anti Defamation League, all the Jewish organizations would come out and protest. And the network will cancel that show. But they call it the General Lee. And since so many of us don't understand history, we just allowed we just allowed that to, to be on TV with the battle flag in Northern Virginia. And the Confederate battle flag in Northern Virginia was a symbol of anti-civil rights. It was used in opposition to the civil rights movement. Now, with that being said, I'm not saying that the characters of Bo and Luke Duke and Catherine Bach and, and um, Uncle Jesse, I'm not saying anything that they said in the show or, or that the character in the show. I'm not saying they were purposely, I'm not saying the characters were purposely, uh, I'm not saying they were uh, against African Americans or anything like that. I'm not saying the characters uh, we're doing that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the symbolism that somebody put into the show. That's what I'm talking about. The symbolism that somebody put into the show. All right. And then, uh, so if we look at this piece here from, um, the Atlantic. The, uh, the myth of General Robert E. Lee goes something like this. He was a brilliant strategist and devoted Christian man who abhorred slavery and labored tirelessly after the war to bring the country back together. There is little truth in this. Uh, Robert E. Lee was a devout Christian and historians regard him as an accomplished tactician. But despite his ability to win individual battles, his decision to fight a conventional war against the more densely populated and industrialized North is considered by many historians to have been a fatal strategic error. But even if one conceded General Robert E. Lee's military prowess, he would still be responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans in defense of the South's authority to own millions of humans as a property because they are African-American. Lee's elevation is a key part of a 150 year old propaganda campaign designed to erase slavery as the cause of the civil war and whitewash the Confederate cause as a noble cause. So whitewash the Confederate cause as a noble one. The ideology is known as the lost cause. 
the ideology is known as the lost cause. And as the historian David Blight writes, it provide it provided, quote, a foundation on which Southerners built the Jim Crow system. The lost cause lie is it pro provided a foundation on which Southerners built the Jim Crow system, just as the big lie pushed by the traitor in chief, Benedict Donald, the first Russian president of the United States, laid the foundation for Republicans to push 389 voter restriction bills and 48 state legislatures based upon a lie so they can suppress the vote so they can steal more elections. There are unwitting victims of this campaign, like some of the dumbasses that uh, stormed the Capitol January 6th and now they're being prosecuted. The, the unwitting victims there, people, people that just, they weren't, I'm not talking about people who were beating up police officers and committed acts of violence, things like this. I'm not talking about dumbasses that just followed, they just said, okay, Trump told us to go, so we're going to go and we up in here. We're we going to turn up and now they're being prosecuted. And going to prison. Is that all I did? I just did what the president told me to do. You because you're a dumbass. That's why. First thing you should do is read the US Constitution. Well, first thing you should do is learn how to read. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> read the US Constitution. There are unwitting victims of this campaign. Those who lack the knowledge to separate history from sentiment. Then there are those whose reverence for General Robert E. Lee relies on replacing the actual General Robert E. Lee with the mythical figure who never truly existed. Okay, so read the rest of this article. And the other thing is, General Lee was against uh, Confederate monuments, even Confederate monuments dedicated to him. He was against those. He said that after the Civil War ended, he said that there needed to be a period of time of healing. And he said that when you have these monuments, he was also uh, he was also against using any of the Confederate flags after the Civil War ended. Also, he said those flags should be folded, should be put away. Don't bring them back out. He said that um, he said there has to be a period of time of healing in the nation between the North and the South. And when you have these monuments, you have this flag out. It keeps the wounds open. It does not allow a healing to take place. So when you see these white supremacists like the Unite the Right rally, August 2017. Not only are they trying to save a statue dedicated to a man who didn't want a statue. Okay. Not only are they running around with the Confederate battle flag of Northern Virginia under General Robert E. Lee's army calling it the Confederate flag so because they don't understand history. Not only that, they did it in a city named Charlottesville, named after an African woman, Queen Charlotte Sophia. Queen Charlotte Sophia, who's the wife of King George III, who was the king of, of Great Britain uh, during the American Revolutionary War. And this is who the 13 colonies are fighting against. Okay? So wouldn't they be surprised to find out they're in a city named after an African woman? running around with a fake flag, trying to save a statue to a Confederate traitor who didn't want no statue. This is how stuck on stupid they are. Read this article from face 
I deal with Queen Charlotte Sophia in uh, my lecture series, Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization, as well as um, uh, my online course, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Uh, Queen Charlotte Sophia. So she was the wife of King George III. She was of uh, African Moorish ancestry on at least her mother's side of the family. Her birthday was May 19th. So when um, uh, Meghan Markle, when Meghan Markle uh, married uh, into the family of colonizers uh, on um, uh, 2000, was 2018, I think 2018, May 19th, 2018. And They, uh, they, they got married on uh, Queen Charlotte Sophia's uh, birthday. Okay. They got married on Queen Charlotte Sophia's birthday. And also, it was Malcolm X's birthday as well. So, Queen Charlotte Sophia was of African Morse ancestry. Uh, Charlotte of Mech Mecklenburg, Strelitz, originally named uh, Sophie Charlotte was born May 19th, 1744. And uh, the the older the pictures, the older the paintings, paintings, because they didn't have photographic cameras in, the older the paintings that you see of her, the uh, more Afrocoid features she has. The older the paintings, the more Afrocoid features she has. The um, more the later paintings, they're going to show her, like this one here, show her as having more European features. All right, now, um, Queen, Queen uh, Charlotte is a descendant of the black branch of the Portuguese royal family, more specifically, Alfonso III and his concubine, Orana, O-U-R-A-N-A, a black moor, M-O-O-R, a black moor. So read this, read this uh, article here from face-to-faceafrica.com, remembering the first queen of England of African descent. And then Washington Post had this piece that I, that I talked about before. Uh, this came out um, uh, the day of the, what they call a royal wedding. Uh, I said she married into a family of colonizers, and I was correct. Not because they're white, but because 100 years ago, one-fifth of the world population lived under British rule because they were colonizers. This is what they did. They colonized one fifth of the world population, extracted the mineral wealth, exploited the people. Okay, she married into a family of colonizers. Meghan Markle, Queen Charlotte Sophia, and the wedding of Britain's first mixed race royal. Okay, but the first mixed race royal wasn't wasn't uh, Meghan Markle, and she wasn't she didn't even become a princess. She was the Duchess of Sussex. But this is by the Dean L. Brown, who writes some good articles. They're talking about Queen Charlotte Sophia was a a. a, a uh, Britain's first mixed race royal. This is about Queen Charlotte Sophia. All right, so she got married on Queen Charlotte Sophia's birthday. And I remember when people, you know, because I, I, I did a broadcast uh, that day, and it's on YouTube, and it, it, it was either the day of the royal wedding or right after that. And I talked about how she, she married into a family of colonizers, but also I said that the opulence because people were talking about the wedding was beautiful and it was royal and all this and there and love and i said well what's love got to do with it number one number two all the opulence and beauty that you see 
Well, they got a lot of that wealth from exploiting African people and enslaving African people. Okay? A lot of that wealth that you saw was built on the exploitation and the death and blood of African people. But, you know, people just wanted to be in love and at a wedding and everything that they didn't get invited to. It watched on TV or whatever. So I said, okay, all right. Now, so now we see what happened after that. And we see how racist the, the royal family is and, and how racist they are in Britain against Meghan Markle. And she, and, and, and she, can, she could pass for white and they treated her like that. Think, she, think, think, think how they would treat her if, if she looked like... Um, 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 what, 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 what's her name? Um, uh, Jennifer Hudson or somebody like that. She can pass for white and they treated her like that. All right. So read this article here from the Washington Post. All right. Hey, if you like this type of information, also, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We're here six days a week. Um, this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, uh, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, etc. When you do it through Cash App, um, our cash app tag is dollar sign the AHN show S H O W. And this is uh, our official cash app account here, uh, dollar sign the AHN show. And, the, and when you go there, it'll say Michael and have my picture there. These other ones are fake African history network cash app accounts. These, this is not me. Somebody set these up or already reported them to um, uh, cash app. Uh, be sure to register for my new 10 week online course. It's going to start up. Saturday, uh, uh, Saturday, July 24th, 2021. Uh, it's a 10 week online course from 1865 to 1968, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and the Black Power Movement, 1865 to 1968. All right. Uh, we have the information at our website, African AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So when you scroll down the home page, you'll see the information for the uh, online course. And then click on register here. It'll take you to the next page. You'll see the information for the radio show. Um, we have these shows in audio podcast format also. Download the iHeartRadio app, search for the African History Network show, or at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Click, uh, click right here to listen to podcasts. And uh, it takes you to our blog talk radio page. You can listen to podcasts, but we have the information for the new online course here. Click on register here. It takes you to the next page. Click on enroll. As soon as you uh, register, you can start watching the uh, uh, course content and the, the class is regularly uh, classes on sale. Eighty dollars, regularly one hundred thirty dollars. All right. We do the classes live. All the sessions are recorded. All the sessions are recorded. So you can go back and watch them over and over again. Um, it's not like zoom. So in class, you can see me. I can't see you. You don't have to worry about doing your hair or putting on clothes. You may be in pajamas, what have you. You can watch, uh, from around the world. Uh, we have a live text chat in the class. 
So you can ask questions in the class through the live text chat. Okay. But you see me, I don't see you. All right. We have to get out of here. Remember the African history network, we focus on educating, empowering and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's corrects wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface Tablet, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network. Subscribe now. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle Her Hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustle Her Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. For 25 years, the Black History 101 Mobile Museum has carried on the rich legacy of the Black Museum movement in America by showcasing original artifacts of the Black experience at colleges, universities, K-12 schools, corporations, libraries, conferences, and cultural events, making it the most traversed Black History Mobile exhibit in American history. Dr. Khalid El Hakim is the founder of the Black History One-on-One Mobile Museum, and he is a highly sought-after public speaker on topics of black history, social studies, education, museum studies, hip-hop, and race relations.
Dr. Khalid was named among the change makers for NBC Universal's Erase the Hate campaign and listed as one of the 100 men of distinction for black enterprise. He recently founded the Michigan Hip Hop Archive on the campus of Western Michigan University. The Black History One-on-One Mobile Museum is currently scheduling in-person and virtual exhibits nationwide. For more information, please contact Dr. Khalid Al-Hakim directly at 313-645-4197, 313-645-4197, or visit their website at blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. That's blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. You can also email him at b history101 at yahoo.com, bhistory101 at yahoo.com.